What a great time of worship together this morning with all of you. So glad you're here today. Well, I don't know how your weekend's been going. Um, uh, I had a unique opportunity this past uh, day or two to head back to my alma mater. Shannon and I went back to Anderson University. That's in Anderson, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. Great uh, Christian university that's associated with um, with Meadow Park and the Church of God movement. Great Christian school. My my uh, youngest or oldest daughter, oldest daughter, is a freshman there, and so we got to go to homecoming and see her and see some uh, you know family and friends and celebrate that time together. Former classmates, and one of the awesome opportunities we got to have was to see two former pastors of Meadow Park Church, and uh, I just wanted to show you this picture and their wives. And so if you've been here for a while, maybe you'll recognize a few of these folks. We've got Jim and Dina Edwards on the left here. They were pastors from 1975 till about 1989, I think, so for about 15 years. And then we've got Jim and Carol um, uh, Cook. The gyms, you got to get the gyms, like Cook and Edwards, yeah, and they were here through the 90s and into the early 2000s, and so they've been uh, great supporters, they continue to cheer us on, they, they uh, want, want to extend their, their greetings to you, have been a long part of the legacy of the church. President uh, Edwards became, Jim Edwards became the president of Anderson University as well, and so he was honored. Uh, they dedicated the School of Theology there, and the building that was there, they renamed it Edwards Hall, so we have some legacy, and, they, and in that time of dedication, uh, Meadow Park came up a few times as being just acknowledged as a place of ministry for, for Jim Edwards and just the influence of this church on the movement as well. And so it was great to be a part of that. I posted this picture on Facebook, one of just the three of us pastors, and shared it with the university and some others. And I thought it was funny in the comments, somebody put, um, who's the guy in the plaid shirt? So um, <laughs> it's a good humbling moment, right? Just to be reminded like, yeah, I stand among these, uh, these great giants that are there. But anyway, um, just want to share that with you. It was a fun, fun moment. We are in the series Unshackled, and we're, we're wrapping that up today. And so we've been talking this, about the series for the last couple of weeks about how do we find financial freedom? How do we discover what it means to live an unshackled life? We've had these, these shackles as this, as this visual reminder of how some of us feel when our finances are tight, when things are difficult, when we're living paycheck to paycheck, or we're struggling with, with debt, or there's some bills and expenses that just seem insurmountable to us. Maybe you're facing uh, you know, retirement and going, I don't know if there's enough. Different stages of our life, we just feel that we are shackled, and how do we find that freedom? So we're going to wrap that up today, but I want to begin with a couple of questions today, and the first one is this. Are you rich? Are you rich? I want you to turn to the person next to you and just answer with either yes or no. Are you rich? Are you rich? All right, well, here's the thing. I don't know how you answer that question for a lot of years, and I'm guessing many of us would we feel uncomfortable. Most of us probably say, no, we're not rich. I mean, you know who rich is, right? You look up, you look to others that have rich riches, and you think of the Bezos and the, the Elon Musks, and you think of the Bill Gateses and the Warren Buffetts and all these other well-known people that we know that have lots of money. Or maybe you're looking at the neighbor down the street that has the toys or that has the nicest house. Or maybe you think, it's just that neighborhood. If I could get to that next neighborhood up, th those people are rich. We always compare in that direction. But it's been a few years ago that I came across some of this uh, perspective, and I started telling our kids, we're rich. 
And so when they ask, I say, yeah, we're rich. And it feels weird to say that. It feels weird to say that, but we have to have a perspective in a different sense. So if we have a global perspective, every year, and there's different ways you can find this out online too, it's like the global rich list. Like, how do you compare globally? So you think about the whole world, right? Not just North America or South America, the whole world. How do you compare globally? So if you take a family of four, so you got, you know, two adults, two kids in this, in this household, if you have a household income of $75,000 or more, you are in the top, I believe, the 3% globally. Top 3% globally if you have a household income of $75,000 or more and you're a family of four. That means you have it better off than 7.6 billion people currently residing on planet Earth. And of course, even if you have a few thousand dollars less than that, you're still in the top 5% globally. If you make 100,000, now you're in the top couple of percent. If you're 160,000 household income with a family of four, you're in the top 1% globally. If you're single and have a household income of $60,000 and you're single, you're in the top 1% globally. So even if we're in the top 10% globally, and somewhere we're all in that, in that range. We have a perspective, we say, we're rich. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, congratulations, we're rich! <laughs> We're rich. And now I want you to say it for yourself. Say, I'm rich. Because I'm rich. That feels maybe awkward. That might feel a little strange to say I'm rich because we don't always feel rich. But when we have a different perspective and as we start leaning into this question, maybe we think about what it means to be rich, not only from a financial perspective, but what are some of the other ways that we are blessed and some of the other ways that we are rich. And so a question, this question was asked, are you rich, was asked to some people out in the, the street. So take a look at this video so and Jenna, some of the responses. The first question that I have is, uh, would you consider yourself rich? No. Why not? What does rich mean? Uh, uh, I would say I'm not rich, but I'm, I realize to the majority of the world, I probably am very rich. Not financially. <laughs> Not financially. I feel like that question depends a lot on like the context of it. Because I feel like there's a lot of just like different versions of like being rich. But I'd say we're definitely pretty lucky for sure. And I, I think I would say that we're rich. So I grew up in one of the rougher areas of the city that I was born in. Very poverty stricken and even more so being an indigenous person. Um, so you kind of, I would say, it feels like you're born to just stay at that, at that, um, that level. I think rich means attaining a certain amount of wealth in which you are fully sustainable by yourself. Independence. Independence. For sure. I kind of struggle a little bit sometimes because our family has a considerable amount of money and I would always like feel a little insecure about it. <laughs> like I would invite people over to my house and I'd be like, wow, like your house is so big. And I would just be like, oh, well, yeah, like, thank you. But it was just like an awkward situation a little bit. And I'm, I'm very like grateful to live in a 
like a nice house and like to be able to afford the things that I want, but sometimes I feel like it puts like a gap between me and my friends and the people that I like love to hang around and just putting a little bit of a barrier there. I was so wrapped up in the whole money and the wealth aspect for like so long, just because just the way that I grew up, like where every time like love came or like just any kind of sense of love utterly failed. Take my family out the equation, I'm alone. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the, the classic line and meaning is Jesus's own words. He said, what shall profit a man who gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? You can have all the money in the world and be the poorest person in the world in love or in friendship. My idea of rich as a financial riches would be uh, something left over for everybody. Inner richness, that, that you, nobody can get that to you. You got to keep that yourself. That's why I'm out here fishing. <laughs> your inner richness is your peace, you know what I mean? Your peace of mind, so. Ask me the question again. What? Now I'm thinking about other varieties of ways of richness. What does it mean to be rich? Rich is a wealth of something. I don't think you can uh, receive without giving. It's selfish to almost give back sometimes because it makes you feel good, but that's kind of how I feel good is by giving back to others. You give because those are the gifts that you have and those are free. And if you can give that to somebody else, maybe that's wealth. different perspective on what it means to be rich. And as you think about that process and we think about that question, are we rich? And what does that mean And if we are rich and even if we are blessed financially and we have that global perspective and you realize you had some food this morning to eat and maybe you had a way to get here today, you had a shelter over your head, you've got a job, you've got friends, you've got church, you've got people around you, you've got a community, there's a blessing there. And so we want to end the series looking at how do we live in response to that. We talked about a process of digging ourselves out of debt and living well in a way that we live within the, the, the blessings God has given us to manage those resources, to find a way to, to be free to live, to be free to, to dream. And today, I want to talk about what does it look like to be free to bless. Free to bless, because when we find financial freedom, it's not just that we have enough money to do everything we ever want. But it's that we can find the anxiety that's lowered in us, we can think about the future, but that we have the freedom to bless others. And so we have to think about our wealth. We have to think about our richness that we have. And even though we may not feel it in comparison to others, when we think about what God has blessed us with, how can we bless others? There's a passage in, in 1 Timothy. I don't have it for you on the screen. I just want you to hear these words. Paul, who has started so many of the churches, he was writing to a young protege pastor who was leading his congregation. And he wrote them this letter in Timothy, and he's saying, here, tell this and teach this to your congregation. And here's what he writes in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He writes this to Timothy, and he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now, when we read that scripture, if you flip through the Bible, maybe you read that passage and you said, teach those who are rich in this world, and you're like, oh, good, I can skip that. But now you can't skip it anymore. Because you just said, I'm rich, <laughs> right? So we have to think about this. Don't trust in your money. It's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. There it is. We can enjoy. There's these good things. It's okay to enjoy the wealth and the goodness and the blessings that God gives you. 
But he goes on, he says, but tell them to use their money to do good. They should be, good, they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. We can experience true life when we discover the goodness, when we discover the, the ability to bless and to be generous and to share that with others. And so I asked you, I said earlier, we're going to start with two questions. The first question was, are you rich? You guys forgot that there was going to be a second question, right? The second question is, are you generous? Are you generous? We've answered the first question, are you rich? The second question here is, are you generous? What do you do with the blessings that God has given you? As I said, through the series, we've been, talking about, um, we've been just talking about this idea that we begin with the sense of not enough. We've been looking at the feeding of the 5,000, right? The story where Jesus um, has this crowd that has followed him. They've been with him all day. He's been teaching them. And uh, the disciples are hungry, and they're saying, send these folks home. We're hungry. They're hungry. Be done. And Jesus tells them what? He says, you feed them. We come back to that beginning part. You feed them. This wasn't even about the disciples just having enough food for themselves. This was about seeing the hunger and the thirst and the need in other people and saying, you take care of it. This was a very physical hunger that was there in that moment. And he asked them to take care of it. Go meet that need. And what was their response? With what? Right? We began with not enough. We don't have enough. We feel shackled. There's nothing I can do. How am I going to do that? And Jesus says, well, what do you got? What's in your hand? What are you, what's available? Don't begin with what you don't have. Start with what you have. And what did they do? They took an inventory and they raided some boy's lunch and there was five loaves of bread and two fish. And he's like, this is all we got. See, Jesus, not enough. And what did they do? They placed it in Jesus' hands. He said, get the people ready. Prepare for a miracle. I'm about to do something. He began to multiply the bread. He began to break it. And piece after piece, he began to hand it out and more and more. And the not enough became enough. Enough for them, enough for others. And we place our, 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 what we have, we place it into God's hand. We said, how do we do that when we don't have fish and loaves? How do we literally do that? That's when we talked about that, that 110, 90 kingdom principle. We faithfully manage 100% that God has entrusted to us, and we return the first 10% to him as holy and dedicated to the Lord. And then we manage and live within the other 90%, right? So that's how we, be, we place our stuff into Jesus' hands. And then in that moment, he begins to multiply and he takes what becomes enough, and now he makes it more than enough. More than enough for us, more than enough for others. We read in, in, in John, this, this story of the feeding of 5,000 is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been looking a lot at the Mark passage, but in, in John it also says this, John 6, 11 to 12, it says, And they all ate as much as they wanted. And the next verse says, Everyone was full. So you see this big shift in the story from not enough, from hunger, from anxiety, from being limited to all of a sudden they all ate as much as they wanted. Everyone was full, and we've been talking about the baskets of leftovers, 12 baskets, the disciples carrying those home and, 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 and going, wow, Lord, you have provided. So today as I look at this, I think, okay, what do we do with the blessings we have? What was Jesus asking the disciples to do? And he was asking them to just give away what he was giving to them. He gave them bread, he was multiplying it, and they had the privilege of sharing that with others. One of the things that I think is one of the hardest things for most people to do is to give money away. Would you agree with that? 
Would you agree with that personally, right? Like money is something like we try to acquire it. We want to have it. We want to buy things for us. We need things. we got to pay bills. We have dreams and hopes. And, and all those things God says he'll provide for. But when it comes to money, where we really realize its power is when somebody asks you to write a check or to make a donation or to go really big on a gift. And somebody says, can you go in this big? And you're going, I don't think I can do that. Right? All of a sudden we realize, oh, that's where it gets really hard. And it gets hard because maybe we feel like we don't have it, but we struggle. This, this idea of giving money away or using it or sharing it with others. And that's, a, that's a, why we, we've been talking this whole series. It's a spiritual issue. We have to wrestle through what's behind that, what, what's going on in our heart and our spirit, and where does our trust come from, and what does faith look like when it comes to my resources. And so we struggle that. And I think when it comes to this question, are you generous, I think we all want to be generous. Does anyone here not want to be generous? <laughs> I think we all want to be generous. And I think the answer that we often would say is, I could be generous if I had more money. Then I could be generous. If I just had a little bit more, then I could be generous. And so we always imagine that when I get to this other place, maybe then I can be generous. Do you know that there's a fact, statistical fact, that the least generous people in America are the wealthiest people in America, percentage-wise, of their giving? that the more that you make, the less percentage of your income you give. And it's ironic, isn't it? At that point, you should have a lot of room and a lot of space, right? You, know, you have plenty to live on. But we start mistaking the amounts that we give, going, well, I've never given such a big amount. And now we feel like, wow, I don't know. Is, I mean, that's already a lot of money. But statistically, it goes to show that those that make, have the least amount of money tend to be the most generous as a percentage of their giving of their income. And so we realize it's not only a, a, a condition of having money that makes us generous, it's a condition of the heart. It's having to understand how do we approach money and seeing that the more we have, the more responsibility we have, the harder it becomes to even manage and to know, God, what would you have me do with this? And we think about Christians and we think about global riches. Well, what about, what about generosity? The average American donates about 2.3% of their income to charities and things of that nature. Actually, a little bit, even, even less. Christians are about 2.3%, Wait a second. Aren't we supposed to be at least starting at 10%? How come we we're not all that much different? Do you realize if we just took this principle of tithing and get, returning the first part back to God, we would be four times more generous than, than the average person? It just goes to show that it's a faith issue that we have to learn how to become more generous, how to free ourselves from these finances and to trust God. And so we want to talk about what does that look like? How do I put that trust in God? How do I, how do I release the hold of money on my heart? Because we want to be known as generous people. The last thing I want to be known for is, oh, look at all those Christians. They are so stingy. Man, don't ask a Christian for money. Don't ask them. They believe in Jesus. They don't do anything. They, they just, they, they're just as bad as everybody else. They, they, they want more. They take, no, we don't want that. We want to be known as generous people. So we're going to look at that today. How can we be free to bless? I want to look at a passage in more depth in 2 Corinthians where Paul, again, is writing to the church in Corinth. And Paul, as we know, uh, as we talked about this in the summer, and, and was a missionary. And he traveled, and he would bring good messages to different churches, start them. But he was also returning back to Jerusalem, and there was great need for the church in Jerusalem. And so he was collecting an offering among the different churches to help support this church in Jerusalem. And so as he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, he was letting them know, hey, I'm going to be coming visit visiting you soon, and then I'm going to receive this offering, and I'm going to take it. And so he was preparing them for just to be thinking about their giving and this, this, this uh, offering he was going to take. 
And so he, we read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. And this is what um, Paul writes. He said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We mentioned the, the sowing, reaping principle. It's a biblical principle. It's a hardwired principle into this world that you will harvest what you sow. And one thing I believe when it comes to finances, when it comes to life, we all want a bountiful harvest, right? We all want to have the fields full. Like if you look at this field and you think about, you think about this fall and you just look at that and you go, what farmer wants to have just a, I just want to have a little small, tiny little plot of land. No, we want a bountiful harvest. And what the Bible is teaching us is saying, look, if you want to have a bountiful harvest, you have to sow generously. So sometimes we have to maybe flip that question back and, and maybe ask the question, why is it that I'm struggling? Why is it that I don't feel like I ever have enough? Why is it that things are always so tight? Maybe I haven't been planting enough seed. Maybe I have been holding too tightly to what I have for fear of losing it. And so it's like a farmer holding on to seed and saying, I'm not going to get rid of the seed because if I get let go of the seed, I've got nothing. We go like, um, put the seed in the ground, let go of it. What's in his hands after he plants the seeds? Nothing. But it's time and patience and investment. And all of a sudden, out of that seed grows a harvest. And out of that harvest grows more seed. And it's this principle, right, that, that's there that you will harvest in proportion to what you sow. So if you want to be more generous, you have to begin to take steps towards generosity and begin to release even when you don't feel like maybe you're capable of doing that. But then he says, so that's the principle, and now he gets at the hard attitude. And the next verse there says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do you give cheerfully or reluctantly? What does your face look like? Left or right? <laughs> I don't know that we want either one of those faces. But, <laughs> but when it comes to giving, right, is it like, I get to do this. This is fun. Like, this is something we get to bless somebody else. Lord, you've provided for me again. Man, you've replenished my crops. Another paycheck dumped into my account. It just direct deposited right there. There's more resources. And so now I have more ability to do something with that. I venture to say not many of us think in that way. How do we think through that? How do we deal with that? Are we happy? It's a hard attitude. Generosity is more than just a financial transaction. It's what happens inside of us. And I, and, and I just got to, even as I was reflecting on this, and I'm teaching this, this series, we're talking about the kingdom principle, and so I took another look at, at our financial situation and, and um, you know, our tithing and our giving to the church, and my wife has uh, now, Shannon has started a, a full-time job, which means there is more income that comes from that, and so it was meant like, okay, what, what does our tithing look like? It's time to increase our tithing to reflect the, the increased um, income. And i got to be honest with you, I struggled with increasing that amount of, to the tithe of the church. I was like, we're already giving a lot of our income, and we got to add more to that. And, and I was stepping back and realizing, like, I don't really want to increase that. Because on top of that, we also, like, give to missions in addition to the tithe. And then we, we support the Renew Initiative like, like you guys do. And then it, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like the stuff I'm teaching, <laughs> the stuff I'm preaching. It's a hard attitude, Mark. This is not yours. Why are you even wrestling with? This is the first part. This is holy and unto God. And so why am I even wrestling with it? And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm just re I'm returning this to God. And and literally in that moment was one of those like, I'm such an it was like one of those moments. Like, <laughs> all right, this is this is yours, God. 
And it was like the weight was gone. And, and honestly, though, we, we love when we get our annual statement from, from Meadow Park Church and from different places we support. And, and when we file our taxes, I want to see that number bigger and bigger. And I go, thank you, God. I mean, that's a lot of money. We could have bought new cars. We could have done some different stuff. But you know what? I don't, that's not the issue. And I look back after 25 years of, of marriage, just about, we're getting there um, next year. We've been tithing our whole lives, and God has provided each and every step of the way. For 25 years, we've done without 10% or more of our income, and God continues to provide it. And it's something we can give and we can do joyfully, but it's one of those things where if you don't, it's a struggle. It's a hardship. I mean, you have to, and you think financially, but it's really this attitude, and we have to check ourselves. How do I do that? Well, how can we be generous? Again, you might say, well, I don't have enough to be generous, but Paul addresses this here as we go on in verse 8. And I love this part. It says, and God will generously provide all you need. Can we just hold on to that statement? And then he says this, then you will always have everything you need, and this is the cool part, and plenty left over to share with others. Isn't that God? I'm going to give you, just like in the story of the 5,000, I'm going to give you everything you need, and I'm going to give you plenty left over so that you can share that with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Both the seed and the bread, both your income, your job, your abilities, your skills, your education, the household you grew up in, the neighbor you grew up in, the, the advantages you've had, the advantages and challenges that you persevered through, they all have been a way that God has blessed you and is using you. But you read that passage and it reminds you of the, of the feeding of the 5,000, right? That, that God provides, he provided the food and he provided enough to share. That there was leftovers, that there was extra and God's saying, look, I want you to be generous, but I'm going to do one better for you. I'm going to provide you the stuff so that you can be generous. I'm not just asking you just to find it from nowhere. It makes me think of uh, the summer when we have vacation Bible school every year. And when the kids come, one of the things we do every year for, for VBS is they, it's an offering we, that the kids raise uh, to a local cause or an international cause. And then there's a competition between the boys and the girls who can raise more. And I don't remember what the total was this year, but it was like a big, big amount. Anyone remember what the total was? They raised, what, how much was it? Yeah, it was over $2,000. Over $2, Did you know we have kids that can give $2,000? Where do they get this money from? How did they give $2,000? And, and no, where did they get this money from? Answer me. Parents. parents. Wait, parents. Mostly from the parents. Now, there's one, one, one boy who gave $50 of his own money. It's pretty impressive. But, but for the majority of them, what do they do? They come home from VBS going, we have an offering tomorrow, Mom, Dad. Give me a dollar. Give me $10. And they come, and how are, are they joyful or grumpy givers when they give? They can't wait to get up here. Mainly they're motivated, too, because there's like, you know, like one of the volunteers is going to get pie in the face if the boys win or if the girls win. They're motivated other ways, but, but they're cheerful. They're joyful. And you know what? They didn't, most of them didn't come up with that dollar. They're just handing off money that their father or their mother gave, gave them. And there's enough for them. And then when they come home, you know what is provided for them at home? is lunch. Those same parents provide a food for them. They provided a meal for them. They provided shelter for them. There was enough for them and enough for them to share with others. Why is it any different that we don't understand that God works that way with us? They say, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you enough to share with others. Just go ahead and do that. What if those kids came that, that day and they, for the whole week, every day they came with a dollar and they were like, Whoosh. stuck it in their pocket. Day two of VBS, here's the offering. At the end of the week, I got five bucks. That's a lot of money for a kid. 
and they go and buy themselves an ice cream. How would mom and dad feel about that? Just think about that. Enough to share, and God provides us the blessing to be able to give that and to pass that on to others. This is a, a foundation that we read throughout Scripture. We go all the way back to Genesis. Abraham, Father Abraham. He was blessed by God, and you know why he was blessed by God? And we read about it in Genesis. It says that he would be a blessing to others. God said, I'm going to bless you so that you would be a blessing to the nations. And this wasn't just a prophecy and a, and a command for Abraham. It was for the people of God. And for today, for us, it's for the church. It's for the body of Christ that God continues to say, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to others. I just picture a table with friends and a meal being shared. And, and if you've been a part of a gathering like that, and you think, man, to just have food and drink and generosity and abundance and inviting people to that table and saying, I want you to be a part of that. And we're going to be the hosts. In a way, that's what God's calling us to in this world, saying he's going to continue to provide for us to invite others to the table, to enjoy the meal, to share that together, that we would be the conduits of God's love, a conduit, right? That we aren't clogged arteries, but that God says, I'm looking for someone who's, who, where blessings can flow through. And the more that blessings can flow through you, the more I'm going to bless you because I can trust you to do that. So then Paul continues, he says this in verse 10 and then 11. In the same way, he will provide, God, God will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great, I love this phrase, a harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. How often can you be generous? <laughs> always. We can always be generous because God's promised us. He's always going to provide. All, no matter what state of, we're in, we can be generous. Sometimes we see some of the greatest acts of generosity in, among homeless people. It's amazing. Or you travel to some impoverished countries in the world, and we show up from America, and they're going to put on a feast and do whatever they can to bless the guest among them. We see that. There's always a place and ability to be generous. But this idea of a harvest of generosity in you. Listen, generosity is not just something we do. It's who we become. That's what this is about. It's not just something we do. It's not just a mathematical transaction. I have given you some of my resources. I am now generous. No, it is a, it is a condition of who we are. This is how we become generous people. And this is where we've been saying through the series that money has the power to lead our heart. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart goes. Your heart follows your treasure. And so you can let your, your treasure lead you to become a generous person, to care about the things that God cares about, the things that matter in this world, to people around you. It can transform us. And the generosity, the harvest is then in us. So ultimately, it's a transformation for us. I am a generous person. I see needs around us, and God blesses me to be generous on his behalf to those around me. I can be generous to my church, to other causes, to, to missions, to, to organizations. I can be generous to do the things that God has called me to do. We can always be generous. And then Paul ends it this way, and he says, And we take your gifts, remember he's collecting these now, it's to those who need them, and they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So there's a few things that happen. As we look at this process, what Paul is saying, first of all, look, you don't have to worry. God's going to provide for you. And you give from that, and you give with a joyful attitude. And in the end, what's going to happen, a couple things are going to happen. I mean, you're going to have the resources. A harvest of generosity will be sown in you as you give cheerfully. The needs are going to be met. You're going to be part of something bigger than yourself because you've pulled together. And in the end, God's going to give the get the thanks. In the end, our generosity is what points other people to Christ. 
And it shows them God's goodness and the ability to be free in how we approach our finances, how we approach our things. It's an attitude that we have. The harvest isn't us. It's someone who, it's, it's, it's who we become. So we look at this idea of generosity. And we come back to the story and we hear Jesus saying to the disciples, you feed them. With what? You feed them. Just begin. What do you have? Begin to turn that over to God and step out in faith and believe that God will provide. As I was preparing this message and I was thinking about, about where I see this in this world and just the practicality of, of, of feeding people, I thought about Noah over here. Um, Noah, who you see on the drums or on guitar or singing, uh, started a, uh, a mission to the homeless here in town. Now, Noah is extremely independently wealthy, right? Is that right? Oh, wait, no, no, I got that wrong. <laughs> Noah, Noah, come on up here. You don't know I'm going to call you up here, but just, just come on up here for a second. I want to tell us a little bit about, I want you to tell us a little bit about your, uh, your, your ministry. Noah, you, how old are you, Noah? I'm 19. So he's loaded. Um, and, and so with all the extra money that he had, he wanted to start a ministry to feed the homeless. Now tell us about just briefly what, what you do on uh, Friday nights. Yeah, um, well, one of my buddies actually um, witnessed to this homeless guy up in Canton. Um, he came to me and he was like, hey, I have a I didn't really have the desire to do it or really care to, but through prayer, I found a passion for it. Um, and somehow I met with this guy um, from the Jordan Research Foundation, and he gives us, we were just talking to him like, hey, how did you start? How can we get there? And he was just like, you know what? I'm going to take care of all your food and all of your clothing and toiletries and everything for the next year. He's like, so I'll provide everything for you. And we were just kind of like, what? Like, what? He's like, also, we have this location to where you can store everything, um, and that's where you'll pass out your food. It's, in, it's on Whitethorn Avenue um, in the Hilltop um, area of Columbus. And since April 14th is when we started, we've passed out over 1,200, 1,300 meals. Yeah, it's been yeah, that's awesome. crazy, crazy. <laughs> So it was dangerous calling Noah up here and giving a microphone because I let him, you know, we, we, we share the platform here preaching sometimes. But, but no, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I wanted us to hear. Like you step out in faith and all of a sudden the, the resources are provided. Right. And you have an ability to, to pass along food that, that you didn't necessarily have to go purchase, but that was provided mm-hmm. for you. And you're meeting those needs. And by the way, if you want to help serve alongside with Noah yes, on any please, Friday, yeah. just go, go, go and see him. I know you're always looking for, for some volunteers. Absolutely. But, you know, at the, at the church here, we have, um, we have a dollar club. And a dollar club is where we just say that even a dollar can make a difference. Um, just hold up here for a sec. Yeah, a dollar can make a difference no matter what we, we put in, in, in the giving boxes. And those dollars add up. And we have those dollars as a way that we can bless, that we can meet needs like Noah's doing there. We can do within the congregation for people from the community. And, and we don't come back and share every single story every time a dollar club ministry happens. It just allows us to do that. And so even a little bit given allows us to bless a lot of people. And one thing we want to do is we want to give you $1,000 from the, from the dollar club as a way to just encourage that ministry. And so that you can, I know you have some needs for some supplies and some things that you're doing. And so the congregation... Through this, those dollars wants to give you $1,000 um, to manage that and, uh, and to do that. We love you, brother, and uh, just want to support your ministry and what you're doing. Here, you want to put that microphone back for you? Holy. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> it's awesome that we get to be a part of that. But this is a small thing that we can do that we can continue to provide for others, and we're just so encouraged in that that it's literally feeding people and making a difference in our community. You feed them. With what? <laughs> 
with what? I don't have enough. I can't even make it on my own. How can I be generous? How can I be somebody who's free financially? We've talked about principles. We've talked about things that the Bible says, look, you don't have to live like that. God provides enough for you and can lead you in a different path. Is it time to change your story? Is it time to write a different story, a different narrative, to turn the tide to say, it's time, I want to do something. And I know you've been waiting for me to do this all week. Let's break the chains. Yeah. (laughs) These ironclad metal plastic chains. But I think there maybe even is an illustration in that. We think we're in ironclad chains that we're never going to break out. And it's, it's not true. It's not true. There's a way through, a way that God can lead you out. And I just want to give you some six practical things real quick here as we go. Because I don't want to do this whole series and you say, I don't, what's your next step? Of these next six, which one is where you're at? Just to recap a couple of things here. Because it's about taking a step in faith. How do we live unshackled? Free to live, free to dream, free to bless. Number one, change your mindset. How do you understand and see your finance? This is it's God's. It's all yours. I want to manage it for your purposes. That's where it begins. We have to understand, as, as followers of Christ, a different understanding of how we see our resources. If we don't start there, none of this, I mean, others, other, other stuff that here is good financial advice, but it really begins here. The second is this. Return the first 10%. Start with tithing on each paycheck. Every time you get income, you say, God, I return the first part to you. That's how you've blessed me, and, and I'm going to return it for your purposes. That's how we invite God, right? We give God the first and the best, and he blesses the rest. We start there. So which one? One or two? Where are you at? Number three, busted on debt. <laughs> we talked about that's where so many of us really quite literally are shackled and, 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 and in a hole. Start with the debt snowball. We gave some tools on that. So if we're going to be manage everything else, the first thing we do got to do is we got to get out of, this, out of this debt. Fourth, create a budget. Live within the 90%. Now, budget is part of getting out of debt and some of these other pieces, but, but you got to create this budget. Say, how am I going to stay within this so I don't get enslaved again into debt and things that lead me in the wrong direction and not able to tithe and do all those things? Fifth, save for the future, right? The long-term, the dreaming. Consistent, long-term, just start somewhere. Start setting things aside. Dream, what does God want to do? How does he provide for you? What are some dreams, some things that he has? Begin to save for the future. And then as we talked about today, grow your generosity. Bless others, become a generous person. How do we grow that? Which of these six steps? What's one step you can take in the series to say, I'm going to take a step forward financially, but I'm taking it spiritually? Because it represents a trust in God. It represents a next step to say, God, I'm going to take this next step because I want to experience financial freedom. But this whole series, you know, as we talk about finances and faith being linked, what's interesting, I think, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospel of John is the story ends, the people go home, the disciples have their baskets of leftovers, and it's a great moment, and then there's another little teaching. And then, like, the next day, the crowds followed Jesus again. They went and found Jesus again. Well, no surprise, he just gave them, like, a free meal the day before, right? And so they tried to track him down again, and basically they're saying, Jesus, we want more. Do for us again what you've done. Remember, you, remember back in the old days when there was manna coming from heaven? I mean, God, you know, Moses provided for the people every day. There was always more and more. So they're coming back to Jesus. Give us more bread. We want more of this bread. We want more, more of that. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. First of all, Moses didn't give the people bread. That bread came from God. 
And God provided for them. But he's saying, look, why do you come? You just seek me for, for these things. And they wanted more miracles. And they wanted to, to God, to, God you know, Jesus to prove himself. And he came back and he looked at the situation. He saw what they were wanting and what they were asking for. And he, just listen to this from, from John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, he said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true, pre- the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. We can get so focused on money and stuff and things. And God says, yes, there's ways to manage that and ways to do that. But ultimately, if you want the true bread of life, every day feed on me. Feast on me. Your hunger is never going to be satisfied by another zero in your bank account at the end of a whole number. It comes only being satisfied in Christ. It says, I am the bread. So if all the searching that you have, find it in me. And so when we think about where does our trust, what is our trust in? Is it in our bank account? Is it in our job? Where is our faith in? Is it in our retirement account? Where do we find joy? Is it in the things in this life or is it deeper in our soul? And so we look for these different places where we want money and stuff and things to fill, and in the end, they're going to leave us empty. What does it profit a person if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? In the end, if we want true freedom, financially but spiritually, it's found in Christ. And I love that he says, I am the bread of life. The daily bread is no other than Jesus himself. And so as we come to this end of the series and we come to the table. We talked about being blessed to bless others, to be free. And I see Jesus at the table gathered with his disciples. And if you have your communion elements with you, we invite all who trust in Jesus Christ to participate in communion here. And picture Jesus feeding the 5,000 and picture Jesus around the table. And he's offering himself and he's saying, this is my body broken for you. And he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. So let's do that now and let's share in the blessing of Christ for us today. Give God thanks for his broken body. And isn't it just like Jesus to share himself, to break himself, and to give us bread that we did not bake, that we did not make, to share and to give to others. We share the life of Christ and we share in him as we take the cup and we say, Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins so that I could be free. Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, You are the living bread. Even the bread you made in those baskets and that you multiplied, that went stale after a few days. But you are bread that continues to be fresh and new each day. Father, help us not to put our trust in riches and in things and in status and in stuff. 
Father, help us to use that for your purposes, for your kingdom, for your good, and for our enjoyment. And God, help us just to be thankful, to express that heart of gratitude that we sang about earlier, that it comes from you. And may we be rich not only in this world, God, but that we would be rich, God, in you and in your kingdom. Open our hearts to be generous to those around us, to this place, to your ministry, to this city, that we could share the bread of life with many, many, many more people as we have for years and years through this church. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.